calling out to the Itascacita community. It's time for your Itascacita Library advanced copy. Get your notes and news now. Hello, Itascacita community. March is nearly here, but let's not shortchange the already shortest month of the year. There are plenty of things still going on in February, and we hope you'll join all the programs we have planned. Some of them may have been adjusted due to our encounter with Jack Frost in a polar vortex that decided to make its way into Texas. Today's podcast, we are going to have a wonderful interview with an engineer to celebrate Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day. We'll also hear about National Love Your Pet Day, which is today. We're also preparing for Read Across America in March. Introduce a girl to Engineering Day. Miss Darla, our young adult librarian, had the opportunity to sit down with one of our original Board of Library team members, who is now an engineer. February 25th is Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day. Hi, I'm Miss Darla, and I'm actually here with Ariel Thomas. She's one of our former Bolt Board of Library team members. She's actually one of the founding members of Bolt, and she's a professional engineer. So today we're going to talk about girls and engineering and how to get into the field. So I've known you since you were a little kid at the library, but could you fill our audience in on what you've been doing and a little bit about yourself? Awesome. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Ariel Thomas. I actually graduated from the University of Houston with a degree in industrial engineering. For my first job out of college, I actually worked as a consultant for Deloitte, which is one of the big four accounting firms where I did a lot of analyst work, data analytics, a lot of that stuff. And I did that for two years and it was really fun because I got to travel from Houston to a few cities on the East Coast. Fast forward to now, I actually work for J.P. Morgan Chase as an infrastructure associate in downtown Houston. And I actually work in the J.P. Morgan Chase Tower, which is actually the tallest building in Texas. So that's actually pretty cool. And I actually work in supply chain and I help to estimate storage needs for all of the systems and applications that are used across the firm. And I would like to say I, I remember the library so fondly because I've been visiting since I was a kid. So to be doing a podcast is actually a pretty rewarding experience. So I'd like to say thank you. Welcome. We love having you here. I love catching up with all my Bolt members and finding <laughs> out what y'all are, y'all are doing. So what first sparked your interest in engineering? Um, well, can I be honest? Um, actually, uh, I wasn't very interested in engineering in school. I actually didn't know what engineering really was until I got to high school. And actually, in middle school and high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Half of my friends were going into pre-med, some were going into business, others were going into like engineering, and I just had no idea. And, and I knew I was good in school and I could study um, but math was a very hard subject for me. So I thought, oh, engineering is completely off the table, you know, and, and I even remember telling my friends that there was no way that I'd be able to to make it. And then one day I was sitting talking with my dad and it was around the time that I actually had to select my major for school. And I told him like, hey, dad, you know, I've done my research. I've prayed about it and I'm still not sure what I want to do. And you know what he told me? And I'll never forget it. He actually said, choose the hardest major that makes you the most money. 
No, I, I'm really sorry to whoever is hearing this podcast <laughs> if you're expecting a different story. Uh, but but it, it was actually what pushed me to look into engineering. And I'm actually glad that I did because I, I ended up doing a lot of research and I actually found a type of engineering that actually fit me quite well. And it was industrial engineering, which is all about continuous improvement, statistical analytics, which I, I do a lot of in my job, uh, lean practices, all that good stuff. And I always like to make things, you know, better, faster, stronger, you know, so it was, it was actually a very good fit for me. So that's what first sparked my interest in engineering. It's not the tale that is usually told, but that's my experience. And I think so many people don't realize there's so many different facets yes. to the engineering world. Right. You know, they think it's just buildings or chemical engineering, yes. or especially here, there's a lot of engineering that's involved in the oil industry. So they don't right. really realize that engineering is this huge field with so many right. different aspects to it. Right. Exactly. So it's not like you're just going to get this degree and you're just going to go build bridges. Exactly. Exactly. And it's interesting you mentioned middle school because I was reading it says most girls, especially, fall out of the whole STEM education program around seventh grade. Mm. Around seventh grade, the interest in STEM, uh, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math kind of just goes away. Like I said, not telling kids, this is what this is. This is what this job entails. And there are so many things you can do. It's like library science. People think, oh, you're just a librarian, but there's librarians that work for Google, you know, that work for um, Amazon. It's organization of information. You know, you're not just going to do that and you don't have to be a math genius. There's so many different aspects. Yep. And I'm actually, I'm actually glad you mentioned that because you can actually do anything with an engineering degree. A lot of times people think you can only work in a manufacturing facility, but really you can work in business. You can work in an office. You can work in technology. You can work in building finance and consulting. Like there's so many different avenues that you can take even after you choose your engineering degree. I I even know someone who worked as a petroleum engineer and petroleum engineering is all about oil and gas. And fast forward to two years later, they're working at Google. Like that's, that's like unheard of. Of course you have to have the right network, right interviews, right opportunities, but like it's possible. And I find that engineering is actually the perfect degree for you to pivot and transition to different things. There's a certain skill set that you mm-hmm. learn in college and you would learn in engineering that can be applied exactly. to different fields. Like, you know, library science, taxonomy and organization of information is not just about, you know, alphabetizing books. Mm-hmm. So, and it's funny that you mentioned petroleum engineering because my uh, brother-in-law is a retired petroleum engineer. Oh, really? And that brings me to another thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, it's engineering is stereotypically seen as just like a very white, very male profession. As a woman and a person of color, what do you tell girls who encounter those kind of stereotypes and don't think that engineering is a place where they're going to be welcome or a place where they can find a career? Mm-hmm. So this this could be a pretty a pretty charged question. So I want to make sure I I, <laughs> I say the, the right thing, right? So first off, I would never advise um, anyone who encounters experiences where they're being treated unfairly or being discriminated against to stay and, you know, just keep pushing through your job, you'll make it. No, that's not what I'm saying. Life is too short for that. If that's the case, you need to leave, right? But what I will say is that you can't let stereotypes dictate your future. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the stereotype is changing, um, especially in the modern workplace, you know, and, and corporations now are making diversity and inclusion a part of their strategy and their operating models. 
um, and they're recruiting women and, and people of color in record numbers. But what I will say is if you do end up finding yourself, you know, you may be the only woman or the only person of color, um, like me, who's been the only Black person in the office before, that has happened a few times, or, or if you find that there's just not much diversity in your workplace, um, I find that oftentimes that can be a place where you shine your brightest. If you like your job, if you like the people that you work with, if you like what you do, I would say volunteer to start a DNI committee. Um, where you work uh, with HR to help recruit more diverse candidates. There are things that you can do to help bridge that gap and almost be the change that you want to see. Um, now, I will say nowadays, corporations should be responsible for that and, and really be pushing the need to see more diversity um, in the workplace. Um, but like I said, if it becomes someplace where it's hostile or you know, you're uncomfortable, by all means, leave. Um, there's no reason for you to stay in a place like that. But like I said, nowadays, corporations that don't make an effort to break down that traditional stereotype they often fall behind and become obsolete. So it really, it really just depends on your perspective. And when you were in college, especially, were there uh, organizations that would kind of like mentor any good mentoring organizations for women engineers or anything so that if you did encounter some pushback, you know, from your fellow students or like when you're interning or, co or even when you're working and coworkers, did you ever encounter any pushback and how did you kind of overcome that? Mm. So I, in school, um, I was involved in the National Society of Black Engineers and I was a secretary and then later vice president of the organization. And that organization really opened my eyes to view other people who were kind of going through things just like me. Right. And so that's one thing that I suggest everybody get involved in, whether you're a person of color or, you know, a woman, you know, no matter who you are, get involved in an organization that with people that kind of look like you and talk like you. You know, um, I, I find that that actually helps you build a sense of community. I mean, it actually makes you more emboldened about what you're willing to stand for and what you're willing to accept whenever you do uh, start working in corporations and things like that. So being involved in an organization really uh, helped me open my eyes to, you know, what other people were thinking that were kind of similar to me. But of course, like even when it comes to being in the workplace, I mean, I will say, I, I thank God that I haven't experienced any direct you know, racism, you know, whether it be in college or, or in the workplace, but, you know, and, and I've worked with some great companies that are serious about diversity, but every now and again, of course, you know, you may get a comment, you may hear a rumor, you may get a, a you know, a certain look from somebody that, that may make you think, oh, like they, they really think I'm just a diversity hire, or they think, you know, I'm just here to fill a quota and I'm not smart enough to do my job. Like, like those thoughts are always in the back of my mind, right? Um, and I've had to deal with that my entire life. Um, and that may be something that I need to deal with internally. I don't know yet. <laughs> um, but, but the only way that I know to fight that is with action. And that's just to do my job to the best of my ability. Of course, this can be a double-edged sword because it can be exhausting trying to prove yourself over and over to the people around you. So I haven't gotten it all figured out. But the one thing that I know that I can do is to do my job, to do it well, and do it for a company that rewards me for that. So if there's some girls out there that are thinking about being an engineer or even aren't mm. thinking about it, like you, like you said, you were not 
yeah. <laughs> thinking about that. Um, what does it take to be an engineer? Well, I mean, to, in general, what is it, mm. you know, your educational background? Also, we'd already kind of covered that somewhat about different jobs that are out there, but what kind of advice would you give them about what they should be doing if they're thinking about that as a career? Mm. I would say for to be an engineer, you have to have drive. Drive and diligence. Um, and a lot of people think you have to be this super hyper intelligent person, but you don't have to be the smartest. Of, of course, you know, you have to be diligent with your studies. You know, you, you have to have some level of intelligence, but, um, but, but don't get me wrong. Like I was never the smartest person in the class. Um, you know, you, you don't have to be the most ambitious. You, you just need to have the drive to get through, you know, the difficult classes, you know, you're going to be studying for hours on end. You may have to work with different people, different projects. You may have to teach yourself some complex problems. If you keep pushing through and doing the best that you can, I feel like the diligence will not only get you the degree, but will also carry you throughout your entire career. Um, especially, you know, you also need to have the drive to be a continuous learner in your job because things are always changing. You know, just because you learn something in school doesn't mean it's going to be that exact same way, you know, two or three, four years out of the job. So you have to consistently be a continuous learner. But yeah, that, that's what I, that, that's my advice is just if engineering is something you really want to do and you know that's something you want to do it, all you need is that passion and that drive to continue pushing you through that. That will overcome any knowledge gaps you may have. Um, like I said, like I, I wasn't good at math, uh, but I just kept working at it. I kept practicing. I kept pushing myself and I ended up being pretty good at it, you know? So, and, and like I said, th there are a lot of different types of engineering. You can find something that fits you. You know, you don't have to go into mechanical engineering. Um, you don't have to go into something specific. And even if you're in the degree, in the, the major and you get your degree, and you find that you want to start working in technology, you can, because engineering is a very, I feel like it's a very fluid degree. It can be used pretty much in every profession. So that, that would be my advice to practice, continue to drive and continue to learn continuously uh, pretty much over the course of your entire life. Kind of the way it is with us too. It's like I said, this past year I've learned more new technology, more, you know, yep. we've had to pivot so much. Yep. And <laughs> exactly, we try a lot at the library to nurture STEM education. Mm -hmm. We have a STEM club, especially for teens. We do a thing called Road to College, where I try to get a lot of different groups in to kind mm -hmm. of talk about different options, different college things they can do, different professions. So, but what do you think if you could give advice to parents and teachers in the library? What are the best ways they can support and keep kids, especially girls? interested in STEM and learn about their career choices. Schools don't have the time to constantly right. bring in people, do career fairs and things like that. So uh, what do you think the community can do to keep the uh, girls interested in STEM and keep them aware of their career choices? So the one thing that I think parents, teachers, the library can all do uh, to help keep girls interested in STEM is just to teach them. <laughs> just to teach them about what engineering does, teach them about the different types of engineering, teach them about the impact that engineering has on the world. I think that was the one thing that was missing from my experiences. Uh, it was simply an education on the subject at an early age. Because like I said, I, I didn't know what engineering was until I got to high school, right? Um, so that, that's what I would say. And, and also just to make it hands-on, uh, make it fun, you know, set up 
real life activities that show girls practically, you know, what it means to be an engineer. Have you heard of like Girls Who Code? Yeah. 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 So yeah, something like that. Like some of their programs. Right. Right. So so that is an organization that shows girls how to code. Like if there was something like that, you know, for me or, you know, for engineering, I would have been so excited and I would do it every year. Stuff like that that gets people excited and and really engaged physically, hands on, um, is is what I'd say would be the one thing that I think young girls um, and boys need. They they really they really do need to really give them an understanding of what engineering is earlier than you know college when you have to start choosing your major. <laughs> so yeah, well, thank you so much. Is there anything any closing remarks you have to say or if you do want to be an engineer? I would say just go for it. Practice all that you can. Research. Do everything that you can to really push your dreams forward. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything. Um, don't let the stereotypes, you know, bring you down. Just continue to practice. Put everything that you can into being an engineer. And in the end, you'll find you not only have a degree, but you'll have a profession that will continue to feed into your life for many, many years to come. Thank you so much, Ariel. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you, Darla. You have a great one. You too. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Marissa sat down with other staff members to talk about Love Your Pet Day. Hey, everyone. I'm Marissa, and for today, we have a special fun discussion for you guys. February 20th is National Love Your Pet Day. So myself and a couple of the staff here at Atascacita Branch Library are going to discuss our special fur babies and kind of just go over a little, a, lot of, a little bit of the quirks that we have with our pets and why we love them so. So to start off, I have two cats. One is named Figaro and the other one is Luna. They are both kind of within the same age range. They're both still considered kittens. So they they have a lot of energy. Um, I got both of them from Friends for Life. They are a no-kill shelter uh, organization, and they are fantastic. I absolutely love these guys. They work extremely hard to try and um, keep the community uh, population low with trap and neuter um, services. And so I got these two from them. First of all... (laughs) The staff already know so much about my cat Figaro. He's a male cat, and I don't even think he's a cat. He's a mixture of alien. He's not from here. He's not <laughs> even really a cat. He's a dog. <laughs> Just he's got different traits of some different animals. None of them are cats. In one particular instance, we did bring him home after we had gotten him um, filled out all the applications and everything. And instead of just hiding in his little carrier that we had bought for him, he immediately strutted out and just started scoping out our apartment. He just, he owned it. Like the the second he stepped inside, that was his home. It was his kingdom. And for a good while, he was the only child before we got Luna. I'll get into that in just a bit. Figaro, I love him to death, but he's got some quirks about him that I don't know what what is going on in that little brain of his. (laughs) Of course, he's a kitten, so I guess I can attribute this to much of his, like, kittenness, and he's still learning about the world and his environment. 
One thing that he does really like to get into is his zoomies, which is basically when your uh, pet has just so much energy that they need to expel it. So they either run around like crazy um, or just knock a bunch of stuff off. You know, they're just zoomies. <laughs> mm-hmm. One telltale sign that I can think of when I know he's in the zoomie mood is he will do this weird trilling noise where he kind of goes, and that's immediately, like, I already know he's going to make, like, wreak havoc. I need to <laughs> I need to someday, like, record him doing it because I always tell everybody here about it, but it's, it's just awesome to kind of see it happen. One thing he really likes to get into is uh, bread or tortillas. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what it is. And he will find it. Like, I can hide it somewhere, but if he can get into the cabinet, he, he will find it and then he'll start to eat it. He is very picky with his bread. He doesn't like <laughs> he doesn't like bread with a lot of seeds. I found that out pretty quick. I went to the store, got some bread. It was like a seedy bread, right? It was like a multi-grain bread. Put it on the counter, and I literally went downstairs for like two minutes, like out of the apartment, went to my car to grab something, came back, and the bread was on the floor. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And I see crumbs like leading to the bedroom. I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh, he ate the bread and he like took a little piece off the top, but then he like left the rest for me. And like, (laughs) I was expensive bread. So you know what I did? I just like took the half that he didn't eat and put it in a Ziploc bag. (laughs) I I might as well save it. Um, His other likable thing that he he likes to eat is uh, tortillas and he will... I don't know what it is about. It's got to be the packaging or something that's soft or whatever. He will eat eat them. Like I've had corn tortillas. I've had flour tortillas. I've had tortillas that were from like, they were like really old. And he still, for whatever reason, found them and he would eat them. The last time he's done this where, uh, where he, uh, he took the little package. And I guess he like, it was in the kitchen. And he uh, pulled it away and took it off into the bedroom near the couch. And then I'm like, well, where are the tortillas? I can't find them. I guess I ate, like, I guess I ate them all. I just don't remember. <laughs> and then I see like a little piece of tortilla like on the floor and I'm like, oh no, I know what happened here. And sure enough, I look near the couch and it's just a pile of tortillas, like torn little bite marks everywhere. <laughs> it's like a little vampire. But no matter how much havoc he causes, uh, yeah, I love him to death. He's my baby. Um, Luna is just the sweetest cat. She's also a similar age, but they are polar opposites. They couldn't be any more different. She is so well behaved. She's super affectionate. And she's even on the side of like, we call her a fraidy cat or a scaredy cat because anything kind of spooks her and she hides under anything. But she is probably the sweetest cat. Like, I don't know why she loves humans so much. Because, you know, we're just kind of boring. We don't <laughs> do much. Um, but she still loves you with, like, all of her little cat hearts. So these two bring me a lot of joy. And I love them to death. So those are my kitties. This is PJ. Um, so my fur baby I've had for about 11 years. He is a Bichon Poodle mix. And his name is Loki. Um, I unfortunately got him from a puppy mill. Um, at the time, to be fair, I did not know it was a puppy mill and I just fell in love with him. So I I did end up buying him. I don't recommend it, however, because Loki has had several problems. 
He is on medicated food that is more expensive. And he does take medication because he has a lot of stomach problems. But I mean, he's worth it. I do not recommend doing puppy mills. So Loki, actually, a lot of people ask me about his name. They assume that I named him after the Marvel comic. And no, actually, at the time I was really reading Norish mythology, and so I was getting acquainted with the Norish gods, Thor, Mm -hmm. and Loki. Mm -hmm. So when I first saw Loki, I don't know, just instinct, intuition, I just knew he was going to be mischievous, (laughs) and I was right. He has always been mischievous, very lovable though, but very mischievous. I think the first sign of him being mischievous was... Two weeks into getting him, I decided that I had to go to the restroom and I thought, well, instead of just putting him in his cage, I'll go ahead and just let him out. He's in the living room. Everything will be fine. I'm not going to take long in the restroom. I was wrong. (laughs) He, (laughs) He decided to get on top of a coffee table and proceed to eat a milk chocolate nut fruit bar and of course I didn't know how much he had eaten yeah the first like as soon as he saw me he just like stared at me he knew he was in trouble like he always knows when he's in trouble I got really emotional because I thought I was gonna lose my dog took him to the vet they had him throw up turns out he had chocolate nuts Fruit and foil. (laughs) That's right. He had foil. The vet is like, hey, so just to let you know, he's under medication. He's going to be lethargic. He may not be very playful. That's okay. It's normal. It's the medication. In my head, I'm thinking, thank God, because I just went through an emotional experience and I need like some rest. I need maybe a nap. Yeah. (sighs) Get home. That dog is like, Nothing happened to him. Meanwhile, I'm trying to take a nap, and this dog will just not, he's not having it. Yeah. A couple of other things, a couple of other quirks. For some reason, he had this really bad habit of, as a puppy, he was semi-antisocial. So he would always play in the corner by himself. But then one day, I realized that he came, ran towards me. And then, like, two seconds later, ran back to his little corner. And then I smelled it, you guys. Oh. I smelled it. And let me tell you, this is the time where he had, like, major stomach issues and he wasn't on medicated food. In my head, I'm like, no. Did my dog just toot and run? (laughs) This is insane. Like, no. Sure. So it happened, like, a second time. And I told my mom, I think my dog is just tooting and running. And she's like, no, Bala, no. It just, for some reason, I got home and my mom's like, you do not, you won't believe what happened to me. And I was like, what happened? And she's like, well, I was watching the TV. Loki was playing in the corner. And then he comes and he runs. And he stays there for like two seconds on my side. And then he runs back, right? And I don't think much of it until I smell it. (laughs) And I'm thinking... I told you, like, yes. Thankfully, thankfully, he has grown out of that. Yeah. Although, (laughs) 
if um, he's a he's a very loving, affectionate dog, semi-jealous. He wants everyone to give him love. He does not like when I get too close to my boyfriend because he needs to be in the middle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do not move, he has no problem sitting on my face. Just no problem. Yeah. So I have learned that I have to move. Another, this is when I knew that Loki was my soul animal. Because when he was little, I remember um, seeing a cockroach pass by. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, he's going to eat the cockroach, yeah. right? But then I'm like, I'm not going to stop him because that's a cockroach. <laughs> and I can't, like, no. So he looks at this cockroach as a itty bitty puppy. He yelps. And then goes behind me, oh and I gosh. thought, oh he my god, this, this dog, he's my soul animal, like, seriously, I <laughs> love him. You guys are one. <laughs> yes! So yes, he has just given me much joy. He just went to the vet, and um, the doctors are always so amazed, because they're like, I can't believe he's 11 years old, he has so much energy, and I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> I love it too, I love that he has energy, but there are times where I am so tired, and yeah. especially when he does zoomies or he's like playing with his toys, he'll whip his toys up and like he flings them in the air and he doesn't care if he hits you, but um, he's lovable. He is um, loves people, loves, loves people, gets very hurt and cries if you don't give him affection. Yeah. So yes, that is my fur baby, Loki. This is Kimberly, and I am the adoptive fur mama to Tango, who is an adorable, chubby, and yet somewhat evil chihuahua, and Dixie, who is a fat and talkative tabby cat. (laughs) I could tell many stories about being a pet owner because I've had pets most of my life, but I picked out a few special ones. I'll start with talking about Dixie, my cat. We did pick her up at the SBCA, and a very similar story to TJ when we brought her home, that was the day she had gotten fixed. So I kind of expected a little bit of, you know, her being lethargic or not really running around. Well, we learned very quickly that wasn't the case, even with a cat who had just been fixed. We left the room for two minutes and found her standing in our pizza. And the pizza was on top of a very tall table. And I could not figure out how that cat got all the way up there. <laughs> After just getting fixed. The heart wants what the heart wants. That's true. Pizza cat. Pizza cat. Yes, she is pizza cat. Mm -hmm. Um, Another fun one. When we got Dixie, she was really the first cat my husband had any interaction with. So he didn't really know about cat personalities and some of their little weird quirks. Catitude. Yes, catitude. Exactly. And so there was a day I was studying for school and... He started laughing and calling for me. And by the time I got out of the office and came in the room, all I saw was this blur run past me. And my husband was laughing so hard, he could not even speak. He was out of breath. He was falling apart laughing. And I realized what I was seeing, the blur was my cat. She had gotten her head caught in the handle of a shopping bag. And it startled her when it moved with her. And then she moved more, and that caused the shopping bag to inflate. Mm -hmm. And so she basically had a parasail behind her, and she was having her zoomies, but it was like the freaked out cat zoomies. (laughs) Poor baby. She's probably like, can someone please help me? (laughs) And her her father's just laughing hysterically. I was the one that fixed the problem, but yes. (laughs) 
Here's another fun one. I bought a used book from a different library one time, and I kept finding that one book on the floor. And it was weird because it was a book about Texas ghost stories. And it was really giving me the weirds. Yeah. And I couldn't, I could not figure out how it was happening. And I was like, well, maybe the book's haunted. (laughs) So I set up a camera in my house and went to the movie one day. And when I came home, I looked at the footage because the book was on the floor. It was the cat. She was going to the one book and pulling it off the shelf. Not any of the other books around it. It's a sign, Kim. It was a sign. She's she's a spooky cat. She knows. I mean, also, to be fair, yes, I think she was messing with you because she knows that you like scary movies. I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess so. Yeah, we've... What is the one book I can throw off the shelf? Yes. Mm. And she's never pulled any other book off the shelf except for that one. (laughs) So I had to put that one away somewhere else. I had to keep that out of my Dewey Decimal Order because I couldn't handle her pulling the (laughs) one book down. Maybe also she's not a fan of, like, Texas ghosts. Maybe. Maybe not. another thing. Or maybe there was, like, something on the book that she smelled because I bought mm-hmm. it used. Have the book? I do. You want me to bring it in? Yes. Okay, yeah. I'll bring it in. We can all sniff our book. <laughs> all right. Science experiment. Yes. Ooh. Test it, see what's on yeah. it. But don't be surprised if it lands on the floor. Exactly. So, yeah, I do have a dog. I have my Tango as well, who I just absolutely adore. Having the two together, they're kind of like Garfield and Odie, very much so, (laughs) where the cat is Garfield and the dog is Odie because he's not very bright, but he's so, so cute. (laughs) Um, One of my favorite things to do every day when I come home, the first thing he does is he brings me a toy and he wants to play. And especially I love it when he brings me the grumpy cat toy because grumpy cat's my thing. I look forward to that every single day when I get home from work, no matter what. He wants to play, which I think is great. Every animal has different personalities. I don't care what people say. Your fur baby is a member Mm -hmm. of the family. For me, that's probably the closest thing I'm ever going to get to having a child of my Uh own. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm going to roll with it. That's my fur baby. (laughs) I very much support Adopt Don't Shop. You know, really try to get out there. There are a lot of great animals in shelters. Mm -hmm. Go and visit them and get yourself a baby from the shelter if you can. They're wonderful. Or like me, Miss Darla, they just turned up in your backyard. <laughs> so I have a two-and-a-half-year-old tortoiseshell named Callie, and she's actually named after Grey's Anatomy, one of my favorite Grey's Anatomy characters. And a, well, we think maybe one-and-a-half, two-year-old, we're not sure, feral calico by the name of Lily. So I never actually intended to have cats. It's been about 2010, my Silky Terrier Rhett passed away, And we really never intended to become cat parents. But one day my mom called me at work and she said, there's a black fuzzy thing in our backyard. We don't know what it is. (laughs) When you come home for lunch, let's figure out what this thing is. Because it just keeps sneaks around our backyard and she can't figure out what it is. And I was like, well, we have skunks. Mm -hmm. And they frequently have babies. And we see the little baby skunks wandering around. We've had baby uh, possums. We've had everything. And we've had... I thought it's either a baby skunk. I did not think it was going to be a cat. So we put some food out thinking because, you know, they'll eat cat food no matter what. And we've gotten some cat food somehow. And so we put it outside and all of a sudden this little teeny, teeny, tiny kitten comes out. And her tail, like the middle part of her tail, is actually missing hair. And we thought, well, that's kind of strange and she's really small. So we fed her, but she wouldn't let us get anywhere near her. So after a week, she finally let us start picking her up and touching her. But then, suddenly, 
part of her tail had just disappeared. We don't know what happened. She wouldn't let us come inside the house. She'd throw a fit. Yeah. So finally, after a little while, we managed to get her get her in the house. And the tip of her tail started looking like really weird looking. It was if you imagine, just look at your 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 little finger. Mm-hmm. That's the size of it. But we were freaking out because we never had a cat before, so we didn't know anything about cats. So finally, we just were like, we've got to take her to the vet because we don't know if this cat needs an amputation or what's wrong. We take her to the vet. And they're like, ah, that's no big deal. Cats' tails fall off all the time. It's fine. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, wait. The yeah. cat's tails will just, if it's injured, oh, yeah, it just falls off. It's no big deal. I mean, I knew that about, like, lizards. <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah. I was thinking yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Because they're jointed, you know, they're all jointed in a such a way that it's like if you lost the tip of your finger, oh they'd be like, God. oh, no big deal. It just falls off. And so my dad was like, oh, I don't want a cat. And I'm actually allergic to cats. So we didn't really mean to keep her. So we started calling rescues and rescues were all full. We're just going to keep her till we find a home for her. Well, it's really hard to find homes for cats, which yes. we'll find out later when we got Lily. We could not find a a home for her. So it was kind of, it's kind of funny because that happened with my dog. When Rhett was around, we actually were dog sitting him for someone for two weeks till they found a home for him. And two weeks turned into four weeks, turned into 10 weeks, turned into, yeah, he was with us for 18 years. So (laughs) after about a month or so, my father was the one we had to sell it on. And there's like entire memes on the internet about my dad didn't want this cat and these guys that fall in love with these cats. And so we were like all sold on her because we were in love with her. She used to like watch K-pop videos with me and everything. She'd like cuddle up in my arms. Oh, so she's like your soul animal. She is. She is mine. She's my baby. And so, yes, so she was very, but eventually he like got around to it and he loves her so much. He's so funny that he just, you know, every night she has to go around and say goodnight to everybody. Goodnight to my dad. Goodnight to everybody. And so, but she's our indoor baby. We actually have an outdoor baby who's semi-feral named Lily. And she showed up and had kittens in her backyard. Every place we called couldn't help us. Mm-hmm. We, the reason she got the name Lily is I had to come up with a name when we when she got old enough, when the kittens were old enough where we could get her fixed. And I kicked myself because she always sleeps under our holly tree. Oh, I should have named her <laughs> Holly, but she's with the vet as Lily, and, and she's used to being called Lily, or we call her Mama Mama or Mama Sita. Yeah. All of her babies got adopted. So all, the, all of Lily's babies were adopted out, and then we were kind of like, well, she's, she's pretty much feral. So we just we feed her and take care of her. And there are some uh, trap neuter rescue groups in Houston. Mm-hmm. So if you do have feral cats in your neighborhood, there is a group that will come out and they uh, will use humane traps, trap them, then neuter or spay them, and then let them go because feral cats tend to live in colonies. Yes. And she actually has a colony. So yes, if you have feral cats, they do have... We've always worried if we ever move, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'd be like... You buy this house, by the way, it comes with a cat. It comes with a cat. So I have to laugh because when you were talking about how you had to sell your um, dad on Cali, mm-hmm. my mom does not like animals and she is scared of dogs because she's been attacked twice when she was little. But she has always allowed us to have pets because she knows that we love pets. And mm-hmm. actually, Loki came from her allowing me to have him. But she did say that he needed to be small right and he was never supposed to be an inside um but somehow like he became an inside dog but yeah the other day I was talking to my mom and she's like how's my baby and I'm the youngest Mm -hmm. one in my family Mm -hmm. 
So I'm like, I'm doing okay. And she's like, no, not you. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, whoa, I just got replaced. You don't, you just don't even like animals. Like, I was like, you don't even like dogs. Paula. Like, really serious with me. Paula. That is my fur grandson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I am sorry. Yeah. My mom is exactly the same way with Tango. So before we close, we want to give a shout out to our coworker Janelle, whose husky Riku turns three years old this week. So happy birthday, Riku! Happy birthday! Happy birthday. All right, this has been an awesome, lovely pet talk. We hope you guys enjoy it, and we'll see you guys next time. Oh, oh! And if you have fur babies, put them on our Facebook page. We want to see your fur babies and Instagram. If you ever want to see any of our fur babies that we've talked about today, you can always follow us on Facebook or Instagram. We will also have a post come out today. So if you want to see what our fur babies look like, of course, you can check that out on uh, our social medias. And remember, like, comment, and subscribe. Thanks. Bye. Bye, guys. Read Across America March Celebration. Gather your map starting February 25th and pick a way to read across America. More details are on the map, so be sure to stop by to find your Read Across America path. February 27th is National Pokemon Day, an annual celebration of the much-loved franchise, which all started with the release of Pokemon Red and Green in 1996, and has bloomed to include successful trading card game, numerous video games, and several film and TV series. In celebration, join us starting next week with an all-ages curbside craft to pick up. Many Pokemon resemble real-world animals. Create your own version of a Pokemon using real-world animals as a guide. Give your imaginary creature traits that would help it live in its environment. For instance, let's take a frog that lives at the base of a volcano. What would this frog need in order for it to survive? Draw your creature and list what special abilities it has that would help it live in its environment. Take a photo of your creation and send it to her email at ata at hcpl.net for a special Pokemon Day celebration prize. Pick up at curbside and mention your photo entry. Be sure to pick up some awesome Pokemon-themed books from our book bundle with your library card. Newsflash, news bulletin, just news. We invite our community of readers to share a one to two minute review of a book you love. Be sure to give us the title, the author, and what about it you love so much. Record with your laptop, phone, or other digital recording device and send the recording to ata at hcpl.net with the subject AC Book Review. We're ready to hear what our community is reading. Thank you for listening to Atascacita Branch Library's Advanced Copy. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Find information on media used and resources mentioned on our podcast webpage. This podcast is produced by the staff of Atascacita Branch Library, a part of the Harris County Public Library System. Funds for the podcast are provided by a grant from Best Buy through the Friends of Atascacita Library. Find out more about this 501c3 organization at foal.ws. That's F-O-A-L dot W-S.